Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Hispanics and the New York Times, far-right lies, interview with Israeli citizen Sari Granitza, and learn about her organization, Yad Vashem, the October surprise, and the imploding J6 Inquisition Committee, and mark your calendar for October 15th. And of course, I'll tell you why all these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may have seen a story a couple of days ago in the New York Times. They ran a hit piece, as they so often do, against a Republican candidate. It's a woman candidate. She's actually now become an elected Republican uh, member of Congress. Her name is Myra Flores, and she ran as a Republican of all things in the state of Texas. The reason the New York Times ran a hit piece on her was essentially to mock the idea that a woman who is intelligent and Hispanic might also be Republican. And they were calling her views far right. And her campaign theme was God, family, and country, which sounds pretty Main Street, mainstream, apple pie America. But to the New York Times, that is offensive. And so she, and fortunately not just this one elected official, but other Republicans reached out to say, what in the world are you talking about? Why is that campaign viewed as far right? Even had people uh, as such as, um, I'm going to actually mention some of the other Republicans who spoke up uh, about this, because there were other similarly situated Republican candidates, women, who got painted as far right. And the point that these, this article was making, and again, everything I ever share on my show, you can read the article yourself at our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, because I want you to read these articles yourself. So that was one thing the New York Times went after her as far right, um, and that was because she said God, family, and country, haven't really believed in that. Uh, similarly, um, in fact, the New York Times was contacted, and they, their answer was, uh, she has far right association and amplification um, of, of far-right messages. And that was the answer. It was a non-answer. They didn't say what those problems were. They alluded to her having some connection to QAnon, to which she said, I don't even, I don't even know what that is, or I know what it is, but I don't have anything to do with that. Uh, similarly, there's a Republican Texas candidate candidate named Cassie Garcia running for a U.S. House seat, um, and she went after the New York Times as they described her as extreme because she goes to church every Sunday. She, I mean, she thinks it's important to go to church every Sunday. She said smearing her religion and calling her support, calling for school choice, um, and, and actually attending church three times a week, which I don't know, I don't know how that could hurt a person. But she was also criticized um, as a staunch advocate of religious liberty, as though that was a bad thing, um, and abortion bans. There was a, a third uh, candidate also suffered the same uh, consequence in the New York Times. I just want to make two points about that and then today's first five. Number one, the anti-American left believes the way they acquire power is to force people into silos, silos based on race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, sex, and to essentially ascribe to people the idea that because you have the skin color, because you have this ethnicity, you must be a left winger. They don't. What they're saying is it's a very racist thought underneath it, which is you don't have the right or capacity actually to think for yourself because after all, you fall into this category, race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, or sex, and you're not supposed to think for yourself. This is why the New York Times and many other leftist outlets hate Justice Clarence Thomas because he dares to be an extremely, I mean, he is the ideological leader of the Supreme Court in my view at this time of the conservative wing. He's a black American who embraces conservative values, understands them, and articulates them. This makes leftists mad because they cannot believe someone to whom they've assigned, they've ascribed values that they must hold based on their race, dares to defy their, um, their assigning of him and what they're supposed to think and believe. The second point, very quickly, and wrapping up the first five, is this. This fall, when we have the November 2022 uh, midterm elections, the left is already salivating at the idea that they are going to win or at least make strides 
because they think they can stir up the women's vote as a response to Roe versus Wade being overturned, the Dobbs decision which overturned Roe versus Wade. And I'll say again, which I've said many times, the decision in Dobbs did not end the right to abortion. All it did was put the issue of abortion back in the hands of the people who should have been deciding it all along. It's a policy question. It belongs in the state legislatures, which are populated by people voted on by the citizens. And if the citizens don't like what those elected officials can do, they can vote them out. This is where all policy issues belong, including the one of abortion. But the left believes because the Dobbs decision, they've, they've engaged in scare tactics, uh, threatening. In fact, there was a, a statement out by the Biden team, not him himself, but the Biden team, talking about, well, you never know. Maybe they're going to take away the right to interracial marriage. I mean, just absurd ungrounded foolishness, trying to ascribe how crazy uh, the, the, support, the Supreme Court may go. But I want to say this about the fall elections. There is going to be a need for Americans who believe in the right to life, who believe in the idea of America, to make the point to the women of America that there really is a, a home for every single person in America who believes regardless of race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, a home for everyone who believes in the idea of America on the conservative side. And there is, I, I find it actually offensive, again, with the New York Times mindset that says, because you have a certain uh, quality about you, then you must believe what I believe, which is, is what the New York Times thinks. It's the same argument of the anti-American left. Their argument is, because you're a woman, you must support the Roe versus Wade decision and the idea of abortion on demand. And what is so insulting about that is that women actually think for themselves. We, are, we, we think and we reason and we come to our values and we come whether through our faith, our studies, whatever other reasons, they're entitled to respect as individuals. And for the left to think that they're going to win the November 2022 elections by stirring up women on one issue is insulting to women. It's also insulting, actually, to women to, to support the idea that women can be lured over to vote for the chaos and mess, which is the result of the Biden administration, simply over the abortion question. I think the left is overplaying their hand. I think conservatives have to speak up boldly and talk about the idea that what we do in a civilized society, in this, West, in this civilization, Western civilization republic, we have the robust debate of ideas. We get to the policies, which is what our Constitution contemplated in the state legislatures over the, this issue and many others. And all of us need to stand up and try to vote against what the anti- the Biden administration is doing to this precious country. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I told you we had a guest starting on joining us in the show today. Um, I, I can't wait to introduce, I just met her recently, so um, you're meeting her kind of along with me. Uh, her name is Sari Granitza. She is, is an Israeli, but she's here uh, in America. Uh, she's the director of Christian Friends of Yad Vashem. And I went to an event uh, and listened to what she had to say, listened to this uh, mission she's on, and actually talked with another gentleman who's uh, working with her a little bit on this issue. And, you know, I... I I've mentioned many times in the show in the past, I love Israel. My husband's business partner is an Israeli citizen. I've been there many times. Going to Israel changes people. It changes Christians. It changes American Jews to see the homeland of all the ideas and the stories of the Bible, the Old and New Testament. So she's here on a mission to talk about that and why Christians should care so very much about the remembering the Holocaust, which is what the uh, idea her institution is dedicated to. I want to welcome to the show. Sorry. Hello, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so let's start with, because um, I had never heard of this until I met you the other night. Uh, so you're here in America on behalf of the Yad Vashem, the director of Christian Friends. So tell our listeners, what is Yad Vashem? And if I'm saying it wrong, knock, go right ahead and correct me. Okay, so the name is Yad Vashem. Vashem, okay. Vashem, it's two words in Hebrew uh, that are taken out of the verse in Isaiah. Uh, Yad Vashem is the, in, uh, is the verses uh, in chapter 56, which says, and within my house and within my walls, I should give me a memorial and a name, which will never be cut off. Yad is a memorial, Shem is a name. Yad Vashem is the uh, World Holocaust Remembrance and Education Center in Jerusalem. It was established by, uh, in 1953 uh, with, by the Israeli parliament, a very young Israeli parliament, uh, after the Second World War, after the Shoah, the Holocaust, where six million Jewish men, women, and children were murdered in 
in Europe, um, and many of them, uh, many of the survivors of the war immigrated to the land of Israel, uh, which is a story in itself for another uh, conversation. Uh, all those who were murdered there had no graves, no tombstone. Things were not uh, documented by the Jewish people. It was an unprecedented event. And the Israeli government understood that a place has to be built to commemorate those who perished there, the lives that were lost, the, the civilization that was lost, because Jewish people lived in Europe for thousands of years, and entire communities were, were erased. So Yad Vashem was established collecting the information, researching it, and educating it. To collect information about the details of the Holocaust, and I'm sorry, say the three verbs you said before, okay. is to collect, collect, research, and educate. Collect, research, I like that. Collect, research, and educate. Well, I will say that people you know, around the world, certainly almost everyone's heard of the Holocaust, but the idea that early on, I mean, way before the world was, or many were even familiar with the depth of evil that happened, the Israeli parliament saw, had the wisdom, I guess, you know, to say, we are going to um, create a memorial. So that was the whole idea of this Yad Vashem, was to have an institution in Israel doing these three things, collecting the data related to the Holocaust and, and memorializing it. Correct. I must say that the Jewish people doing the war itself in Europe understood in different places that this is unprecedented and it has to be documented. One of the well-known uh, people who did this was uh, Dr. Ringenblum in the Warsaw Ghetto. He was a historian and he, he realized that this has never happened before in the world, and he asked people from the ghetto to start documenting what was happening. Uh, may it be educators, may it be uh, newspaper writers, may it be uh, historians, or artists that drew what was happening, what they were seeing in the ghetto, because the Jews were not allowed to have cameras, so they couldn't take pictures of what was happening. Oh, my gracious. I'm sorry, say the gentleman's name again, the Warsaw? Dr. Ringenblum. And he created what we call, what he called the Onig Shabbat archives. Onig Shabbat is a code name. Uh, it's the, the beauty of the Sabbath. Uh, so that was the code name. And today we call it the Ringenblum archives. Uh, it, he collected everything. He put it in milk jars and they buried it in the ghetto. Yeah. After the war, uh, most of it was found. And it's today, uh, we have it in Yad Vashem. So that's just one example that Documenting started even during the war, but immediately during and after the war, even before the State of Israel was established, because we have to remember the State of Israel is 48, the war ended in 45, three years of many things that happened in the world, people started writing down names of their family members yeah. or community members that were lost, so they wrote it in on notes, in diaries, they, they threw out out of trains, they were deported to the east, but they threw out notes. Remember that a person with the name of this and this existed. Yeah. And when you come to Yad Vashem, and I hope our audience will come to Israel and will come to Yad Vashem, uh, in the main history museum, when you stand near one of the big videos we have there of trains just going, if you stand there for 30 seconds, you'll see notes being thrown out, people wanting the world to remember that they to know existed. what's happening and exactly and the only reason that they are going to be murdered is because they're jewish yeah okay so i want to just do a little bit of a um, devil's advocate argument or question for you which is you know many people are and, and rightly deeply deeply concerned about occurring the holocaust but they say yeah but stalin you know he killed a lot of his people and Mao say tongue heaven knows he killed a lot of his people so why is the, the whole, I mean, and, and there are memorials in various ways, but how is the Holocaust, how does it stand out as unique as compared to these other horrific actions? So all the actions are horrific, and there are genocides and events that happen in the world, and we have to learn about them. But the Holocaust is unique in the sense that uh, the Jews in Germany were a very small minority. But the hatred against Jews started way before Hitler, right? We know that it started, unfortunately, in the church thousands of years ago with education <clears throat> and uh, against Jews in, in Western societies. Western societies are, were mainly 
Christian societies. So when Hitler came into power, it was easy to go on that and, and develop it. And uh, so I'm not, God forbid, saying that we should not remember the other things and we should learn from it because from everything there is something to learn. But in Israel, we are responsible for what happened to the Jewish people. Now, why is it so relevant today? Because we might say, yes, this happened 80 years ago. Let's right. move on. So I'll ask and I'll answer that. Um, you go right ahead. <laughs> that... Um, the Holocaust did not start with the gas chambers that were in Treblinka or in Auschwitz or in the other camps. Uh, it didn't start with the ghettos. It started with uh, indoctrination, with education, with propaganda that we see that took place in the 30s. And that's what's so dangerous. Words have a lot of power. Yes. And the social media of the time, which was rallies, bulletin boards in the streets, you know, you went into a cinema and there were commercials before a movie, uh, that was all against Jews and putting them aside as dangerous, as dehumanizing them. And um, today, when you go fast forward and you look today what's happening on social media and what you see what's happening on campuses in the biggest democracy of the world, in the United States, are close, close allies of the state of Israel. It is very scary, and it is our responsibility to educate that this has to stop, and people have to know the facts. Yep. I want to jump and go back to my um, – you can ask answer any question you want, but I don't go back to something I said a minute ago, which okay. was I think what's unique about the Holocaust and which people – those who say, well, there have been a lot of atrocities in history is because Stalin did what he did because – People were in the way of his plans. They, they were, it was indiscriminate as to citizens. And Mao did that. They just were in the way of his communist plans. They were, this was a, and so it was occurring in the countries where they were, the countries that these people allegedly governed. And they, it was indiscriminate as to who they were. We just, people wouldn't listen. People wouldn't bow to them. But the Holocaust was Jews wherever they lived. It was targeting people because of its religion and ethnicity combined, I guess. But it, it's targeting Judaism all over Western Europe, all every place else, they, they sought out Jews. That's what's distinctive about the, the hatred of it and the vileness of it. It was really, and, and maybe I'm saying in different words what you were trying to say, but I think that's why it is so important to recognize that the Holocaust was, it wasn't just Stalin saying, I can't feed all these people, or Lenin, or, or any of the other evils in history. It was people deciding, we're going to go after this particular group wherever they are. And I've always had the thought, one of the quick, I've always had the thought about Judaism. One reason I think people... The, the, you know, the chosen, as, as in the Bible refers to um, the Jews as the chosen, there's something so pure about just being, you know, believing in the depths of your being, believing in God. And, and as the world gets bigger and, and anti-Christian, anti anti-religious movements happen, the Jews just solid faith in their history and their knowledge, it, it really gets under the skin. It, it more than irritates. It frustrates people who want people to give up on the idea of God. And the Jews are just right there with it. So uh, I agree with everything that Go you ahead. said. You can disagree if you want. It's okay. <laughs> no, but I will uh, add on to this. Um, Hitler came into power at a time that was, um, it was after World War I. Uh, there were economic problems uh, in Germany. And, and he they were looking for a scapegoat. It's always easy to pick on the Jews. And as I said, if you look uh, at the facts, the Jews were such a small minority there, but it's easy to pick on the Jews and make them a scapegoat. Yep. And, and once they're the scapegoat, that unites the whole, the rest of the nation against them, and that gives them a cause. Then it brings their morale up, and they're in power, and they're strong, and that made it uh, very easy to, uh, to go against the Jews. So, and it wasn't um, on a bare land, you understand? Because there is background, there is, anti-Semitism is not something new in the world. It's right. something that existed. It just took it into an, an extra phase, an extra step that made it uh, uh, um, more accurate, you know, as if it's scientific. You know, he took it to an extra phase. If you know that there is a religious anti-Semitism, social anti-Semitism, uh, you're right about the fact that in other cases, like what happened in Russia and in other countries, it's within the country against their people. 
even in Rwanda. I mean, these are people within the country, citizens of the place, yeah. that are fighting against each other. Not that it makes it right, but what happened in the Holocaust is different, different in, in the sense that the Jews didn't do anything against anybody. They right. just continued to live on their lives, and they just, one day, they decided that they're uh, outcasts, that they should be marked, that they should be thrown right. out, and if you can't throw it out, them out, then uh, erase them, right? Murder them. But uh, it's different than the other cases, which are all horrible. Well, I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I don't, anything, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think that's exactly right. Um, and it, so it is a reason to, for the world to study the Holocaust, to think through how in the world could this happen? How did this society of apparently relatively normal people get manipulated into the hatred? There was a, and I also agree your point about when you build up an enemy it, it, and, and you are the government trying to unite people to have and say, well, we're all together except them. Except it really is, it's a grotesquely unifying thing. It's horrible. Okay, so what else? So you're here in America and you're going to be working with, and your, your title actually is the director of Christian Friends. So what is the motive of, of your trip here? I mean, you're trying in part to bring Christian churches uh, around to uniting with the, this, the uh, idea of remembering the Holocaust. Just talk about what you're going to do here. Okay, so um, Yad Vashem, as I said, was established back in 53 uh, by the Israeli government. Um, we receive uh, a part of our uh, budget from the Israeli government, but the rest of it we do with fundraising, uh, with private donations. For many, many years, um, the Holocaust survivors, Israelis and Jewish Holocaust survivors from around the world, understood the importance of Yad Vashem and they saw it as their second home, and they made sure that it would develop and that it would be able to uh, do its important activities and carry out its important missions. But unfortunately, the Holocaust survivors are passing uh, as time passes. Uh, I think it's two things. The Holocaust survivors are passing, and another thing that happened, and thank God for that, is that if back in the 50s, I think the Christian world and the Jewish world were in different places, uh, we had a mutual history, complicated mutual history. As time passed, we see more and more Christian friends that do care about the Jewish people, do care about the uh, state of Israel, and understand the importance of uh, working together and building these bridges. And so in 2006, Yad Hashem decided to work more with the Christian community in the world, and uh, we established the, the Christian Friends. So actually the first uh, director was a pastor from the United States who moved to Israel. To, uh, a Christian pastor? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, from Tennessee. Okay. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor uh, Sam Clark. And when he moved on, um, Dr. Susanna Kokunan, who is also um, a Christian lady, uh, she came on to this position. And when she uh, moved after 10 years in Yad Vashem, uh, I was offered the position. Now, I've been in Yad Vashem for many years, doing something else. And uh, I think this is an additional step in this relationship that we're building with the Christian world, having someone like myself, uh, a Jewish observant Israeli leading the Christian desk is something that teaches about uh, this relationship and this friendship that we are building. And I actually just had in Israel um, a Christian leadership seminar in Yad Vashem, where oh, we yeah. had Christian leaders from yeah. all over the world. And uh, my dear friends, uh, the shepherds from Texas, uh, from Dallas, who I'm now um, staying with them. and. Uh, they were part of this, and I think that after people are in Yad Vashem for a few days learning about the history of Israel, the history of the Holocaust, they understand more, they go back to their communities with much more, with more tools to cope yeah. with things that we see today. Yeah. I will quickly mention for our radio listeners, I'm very grateful to Brodian Radio for carrying the show. If you're listening on radio, you're going to go to commercial at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes um, after the hour, and also at three minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, we're just going to be right here talking, so do not go away during the commercial break. Also, if you're listening on radio or online, you can always go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. You can watch all past shows. You can watch the show live. You can watch past interviews, read our blog posts. Everything's there, americacanwetalk.org. But Brodian radio just because you have three minutes of commercials don't go away do come back okay so i want to go back to the one point you're making about um the christian churches and, and being more united with um judaism and and the goal of the holocaust remembrance it is 
astonishing to me to think about that there are Christian churches who think, or leaders of some kind, who think that somehow it's the Christians and Jews are not on the same page. And obviously, you know, we have theological differences with respect to Jesus and what we think about his place. But the entire Christian faith relies on the whole Bible. And, and, you know, I mean, I probably mentioned to you, my grandfather and uncles are all Lutheran ministers, and heaven knows we went through the Old Testament, New Testament, we, you know, we learned it a lot. And the idea of the Ten Commandments and the Proverbs, people love to quote the Proverbs and the Psalms, that the Bible has such unity. Uh, and so for Christian churches to think there has to be a separation or it has to be some uh, opposition is really sad and unfortunate and, and harmful to, to both Jews and Christians. So I love that message. I think you, you talk a little bit about that, about how the Ten Commandments are really still fundamental to the Christian world today and part of what you talk about as a basis of unity, right? Absolutely. Let's start with Genesis, that all mankind were created in, in the image of God. So it doesn't matter color or, 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 or faith or anything. Uh, we're all the children of God. So that's, I think, the basic. Uh, as long as we, uh, you know, there are the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is keeping the Sabbath. Not everybody has to do that. That's for the Jewish people. But the seven, there are seven commandments that if you do that, then you're a good person. And that's what counts because at the end of the day, when you'll reach heaven and you will stand in front of God and you'll ask us, uh, not why I wasn't Moses. I was not born Moses. I was born whoever I was born. And I have my obligations. So a Christian person has these obligations. And as long as we do good and we believe in the Bible that God is, is our God and that we have a responsibility here as long as we are on earth to make this world a better place, then we can do great things. Oh, I could not agree more. And I'll tell you something else within the, and you don't have to comment if you don't want to, within the Christian churches in America, there, is, there has been an invasion of, of leftist ideology uh, that is kind of a, a social justice warrior stuff. And so pretty soon the whole mission of carrying out some of the ideological goals of the, of the left, the social justice warrior stuff, it almost replaces the study of the Gospels, the study of the Bible. It's like, yeah, I, I, I'm a good Christian because I worked in the food bank today. Not, I mean, it's not the same thing as, as, as treasuring the Gospels. I, part of what I hope happens, or treasuring the whole Bible, but part of what happens is make people think, yeah, why? I mean, churches you talk to or religious leaders, why aren't we more focused again on what the Bible says? I mean, you want to comment on that or else I'll roll on. I can just say that in Israel, we are amongst the Jewish citizens, uh, the young generation. You hear that a lot as well. Uh, if I'll do good, that's enough. No, it's not instead. You have to learn your Bible and you have to do good. But that's, it does not contradict. It comes together. Yeah, yeah. So we mentioned before we started, I want to ask you one more thing about the uh, BDS movement. I just have to look up what it stands for, but I did. Uh, boycott, divest, and sanction. So there's a big move in America and at college campuses to say that, that to push the idea that Americans, not just uh, individuals, but corporations, the government, should uh, support the BDS movement, which is to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. And um, I, I think it's it, it just it reeks of anti-Semitism to me, but I don't know what you're, if you had to address that, if you were speaking, you know, what is the, I mean, because the people say, well, I'm not, I'm not really anti-Semitic. I just, I, I don't agree with uh, whatever. I don't like the situation um, in the West Bank, or they call it West Bank. We can call it Judea and Samaria, but I, I don't like this. I don't like that. So I'm mad at Israel. What's wrong with the BDS movement in your view? That's a very a complicated subject. Uh, I'll just say a few remarks. Okay, I will, I'm an Israeli citizen and I love my country and I think there are issues that have to be coped with. But yet to say that Israel is in, God forbid, an apartheid state. You ha the, the situation is complicated. You have to know our history. You have to know that the uh, Arabs um, or the Muslims from, that, from our area uh, started attacking the Jewish people in the beginning of the 20th century, mm -hmm. uh, okay, before we had a, a country. And then uh, once the State of Israel, uh, once the UN, I have to give this background. When, once fine, the yeah. UN uh, announced that uh, creating two states, right, in 47, uh, a tiny state for the Jewish people and a state for the, uh, what they called the Palestinians, the Arabs who were living at, on the, in the land of Israel at the time, 
the Jewish people around the world were celebrating. They were going out in the streets and dancing. The Arabs were preparing for war. And once the state of Israel was uh, established, once our first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, announced the, uh, the creation of a Jewish state, immediately five Arab countries attacked. The Jewish people were always very ready to, uh, to live with whatever we could, as long as we'll have a tiny state in the promised land of Israel. And we were always, uh, along the years, attacked. Also in the 50s, not talking about 67, you're talking about the West Bank. I'm talking before that. They were, today we call it terrorist attack. Back then they were called the Fadayuns, who used to go into Israeli cities and bomb and kill people. So there was always this um, conflict. And, uh, and what the BDS is doing is taking things out of context and trying to boycott Israel. There are a lot of countries in the world with issues that might have to be coped with. But if you go into Israel and you go to a, a courtroom, there are Arab judges. And if you go into a medical school, there are professors. And if you go to an Israeli hospital, there are doctors and nurses. If you go to anywhere. Knesset, the government. The government, thank you very much for reminding me. Our parliament, we have, they have, uh, they are there, they're represented. They're a part of the Israeli government that we're now going to uh, elections, but they were a part of the last government. They are a part of the Israeli society. We would love to live in peace. I can tell you that uh, I, we do a lot of work with, uh, with our Arab neighbors, and we will be happy to live in peace. Yes, the state of Israel is a Jewish state, as that it was established, as that it will always be. Our Arab brothers and sisters who live with us in the country, can it, there is freedom of religion, and they can act, uh, practice their Muslim religion or or Christian religion, if they, you know, there's some of them that are Christian, so. Yeah, I love your point. In fact, we're going to tie uh, well to my last question, which is, is about Israel. Um, I've been blessed to visit twice. Um, I, my husband's been there, I don't even know how many times, many, many times. Um, and I remember being struck the first time. People said, well, it's just like America. Well, you know, in many, many ways, it is. It's a very free society. It's a society of, that has representative government, as you're alluding to a moment ago. No matter your race, ethnicity, national origin, if you're a citizen, you get to vote, you can go to schools, you can become uh, doctors, lawyers, members of the government, whatever. They, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a true sense of a diverse society in, in that manner, in, in that way. But um, there's a... Um, there's a, an energy of freedom that you feel in Israel that's like America. And, and so I, I just, I, I wish, actually for all our listeners, if you haven't been to Israel, you really should go there. You really ought to go and just tour the area. You see things where if you've studied the Bible your whole life, you go and, and there's where it happened. You, you can go to the Garden of Gethsemane and all these amazing places. So um, to me, Israel is a, it's a draw for world travelers. I was close with saying, so, you know, I mean, you're defending, I love what you're doing, it's wonderful. If people want to support you, they can go to your website. Is that right? Correct. Go to the Yad Vashem website. And there's a, you can read about our activities, and you can go into the donate page and donate to the Christian Friends of Yad Vashem. Okay, so it's on the screen right now, uh, yadvashem.org. You can go there and make donations. Um, or is it Christian Friends is a subpart that you donate uh, if to? There's a box there that if you want your money to go towards our activities, uh, then uh, we'll be very thankful so that we continue with our important mission. Okay. I, I think you're amazing. So first of all, thank you for making time to come in today. I know you have a lot of people who want to talk to you, uh, so I'm grateful that I made the list. Um, but I appreciate so much your coming in, and thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for thank you for what you're doing and for having me here today. Loved it. I loved it. So hey, Joe, I'm going to go next to my um, the last topic. I'm going to go to the uh, mark your calendar for October 15th because I want to talk about the summit. Uh, if you can put that up on the screen, okay. Oh, and so. Um, on the screen, you're seeing, I want to ask everyone listening to mark your calendar for October 15th. That is a Saturday in the fall. There's no more place more important to be than Dallas, Texas that day. Um, and we're having a wonderful summit. Uh, the speakers are up on the screen. And just as my show and just any public speaking I do, the entire purpose is to stand up and speak up for America, to expose the various threats that make America less safe or that weaken us in some way. So without running through a great amount of detail, we have Gordon Chang speaking. He's 
foremost expert on China and can just, every time he's on the show, I'm madly taking notes trying to keep up with him. He's really well informed and talks about, in a very in-depth way, the way China presents a threat to America. Um, and Sidney Powell, uh, who's going to be on the show on Thursday. For those of you who watch the show online, Sydney Powell is joining us in studio on Thursday. She's been, if you, I had someone ask recently, whatever happened to her? She is uh, guns blazing, that's a bad expression. She's working very hard. She is defending some of the January 6th prisoners. She is working very hard in a variety of means. She's going to talk about at our summit the rule of law or lack thereof uh, in America and what we have to do to fix it and some on election integrity. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer is the gentleman who uh, was serving in the Air Force. He was a commander in the U.S. Space Force. Great job. He wrote a book explaining how Marxism has invaded America's military. Now he's no longer in the, war in the military. He was booted out and he's speaking up about Marxism as an ideology invading and harding, harming America's military. Uh, Kevin Freeman, a local uh, guy, brilliant guy, has been on the show numerous times. He himself hosts a talk show, Economic War Room. And I gave him a really long list of things I want to talk about. And I told him he has 20 minutes, so we'll see how we do. But he used to talk about ESG, about Bitcoin, about uh, digital currency, um, just and, and Larry Fink, a whole bunch of things. Uh, Frank Gaffney, a longtime friend of the show, Frank Gaffney is going to be talking about a variety of things related to national security in America. Dr. Mark McDonald, uh, L.A. psychiatrist and author, wrote the book, um, United States of Fear. He's basically talking about the idea that the government used fear as a weapon to bring the American people into submission under COVID. And he is, first of all, really funny, very fun to listen to, brilliant guy. Uh, Reggie Littlejohn has been an enormous force in China. She founded an organization to fight against forced abortions in China. But what she's now working on is trying to explain to America how terrible the social credit score system is in China and how in America, when we are going to go down the path that the left is pushing about having vaccine passports or health check passports on your phone, she's saying we're way down the path of getting to where China is on social credit score. Don't do it. Dr. Richard Bartlett uh, joined my show originally in July of 2020. He was the first doctor nationally to speak out and say that budesonide works wonders for people who have COVID. Uh, he has been a warrior on the idea of healthcare freedom and the freedom of doctors and patients and doctors to treat patients uh, with the medications they believe are effective. He's been a fabulous um, advocate. Jason Isaac of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, he is an expert on energy. And, and when he's done talking, you're going to say, in case you've been worried about climate change and fossil fuels, you're going to realize, wow, did I ever get duped? The data he provides related to climate change and fossil fuels and how incredibly wonderful they have been in protecting us and advancing life and bringing life and comfort around the world. He's fabulous. Uh, Tina Peters, she was the on the show about four weeks ago, I think. Tina Peters is the uh, woman who was the uh, county clerk in Mesa, Arizona, um, excuse me, Colorado. Um, and she was the one who has literally, they've been calling what she uncovered, the Rosetta Stone of understanding how the Dominion voting machines are used to commit election fraud, conscious, intentional election fraud. Uh, she has exposed it all. She got a bunch of information which she gave to cyber experts. Uh, for her effort, she has been indicted. She has 10 uh, charges against her, seven felonies, three indictments, and she's Un unflapped. And by the way, she did run in a primary for Secretary of State of Colorado two weeks ago or so. Um, I'm just going to tell you here that uh, primary was stolen in my view, and I've seen a lot of data. It's true. Uh, two more people, Sam Faddis. I always say when he's around, like the smartest guy I know, he's a former CIA operative, um, years of experience in very, very dark black ops stuff, great writer. He and his wife founded AND Magazine, A-N-D Magazine. He now writes on Substack brilliant assessor of everything going on um, uh, around the world, in our country. I and mean, he writes on so many topics I can't figure out to ask him to talk about. And last one is Evan Sayet, uh, who is also a, a well-known, he's a writer. Um, he wrote for Hollywood. Um, he's a former lefty who is now a conservative. And he wrote one of the uh, three speeches that Donald Trump said, one of the three speeches that won the presidency for him. I am not going to go through this litany of every single speaker um, every time I talk about this on the show. But I will tell you that now at our website, americacanwetalk.org, we have tickets available. I am so happy to see people buying tickets already. It's Saturday, October 15th. We have a Friday evening VIP reception with a very fun surprise guest uh, and a possible add-on we'll talk about a little later. But I urge you to, to mark your calendar. Last year, we had people here from 
California and Oregon and Washington and the East Coast and New York, and it was just, it was great. It's great discussion about saving America, which is the entire reason I do my show, to save America. So uh, mark your calendars and do not miss our October 15th summit. Okay, last topic for the day, October surprise and the imploding, I love the word imploding, it's like a visual word, imploding J6 Inquisition Committee. Now, you might have thought that it was called the January 6th Committee, but actually, um, I want to call it the Inquisition Committee, and I'm not even slightly exaggerating. So what's happening in Washington, by the way? A little fun thing. So January 6th Committee that was put together after the episode at the Capitol on January 6th of 2021, and it is, you know, filled with leftists, even the ones with an R by their name, filled with leftists who saw the January 6th events as the opportunity to kind of, you know, bury Donald Trump, make it impossible for Donald Trump to ever run again for any office. And it wasn't just Donald Trump they were targeting. They're targeting the people who supported Donald Trump, the people who supported his agenda, what he stands for. It's a message from the leftists who've taken over the government of America. Don't you think a moment about standing up for the great, Make America Great Again agenda? Don't you think about standing up for your country? You know, Donald Trump, rattled Washington unlike anyone maybe ever. Because when he came along in 2016 and won that election, there was at that point, we were well down the path of four years, of, excuse me, eight years under Obama, who was uh, on his mission of his rolling America away from the foundational freedoms and toward Marxism and socialism. They thought they had it won. They thought they had Hillary uh, going to take over for the next eight years. I told you this before. There was a plan uh, recounted in great deal, detail by Patrick Byrne in his blog, Deep Capture blog. He writes about working with Obama and understanding Obama's view was eight years of Obama, eight years of Hillary, then eight years of, you know, hope you're sitting down, Michelle Obama, 24 years of leftist rule in our country, and we're done with the founding ideas of America. This is how Obama saw the world. This is what he was doing. So back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a big fat boulder in the road to this leftist mission. So Donald Trump wins, and many people, and I'm not, this is not necessarily partisan, but there are plenty of people with an R by the name in Washington who like being part of the ruling uniparty. They think it's where they belong. They think they are the ruling elite. They think they are supposed to be there. And Donald Trump rattled Washington in so many ways. So back to January 6th committee, you know, they put this together to find out, allegedly to find out what happened in Washington that day. And, and when the facts don't fit their agenda, they don't want to find out about it anymore. So I'll mention a one a very quick and fun point. They had subpoenaed um, Steve Bannon, who is Hilarious. Steve Bannon and, and tough as nails. So he has his blog. Well, they had subpoenaed him at his show. I mean, he's supposed to be in Washington on Thursday. And once he announced, Steve Bannon said, you know what? Yeah, I'll come in person. I, I mean, I'm sorry. The Democrats, the whole J6 committee, quaking in their boots. They can't, they can't contain him. He's really articulate. He is, you know, he's 10 steps ahead of most people. He's very bright. And he, they knew if he's, on the, if he's sitting there being questioned, they're going to look foolish which they already do, but they actually said, never mind, we're not having it after all. So they've withdrawn. Now they say he wants to be there in person. I view that as a victory. I will say the long-term mission of this January 6th committee, it truly is not just to make sure that Donald Trump never serves in office again, but to send the message that there is not going to be any protests against what the leftists are, are trying to do to our country. And I want to mention a few things about January 6th. And again, on Thursday on my show, and uh, this show, America Can We Talk, Sydney Powell is joining me. This is one thing we're going to dive into because she's been really recounting uh, all the uh, inequities in the justice system, what the, how the DOJ and the FBI are treating the January 6th defendants as compared with the people who uh, actually burned buildings and killed people and destroyed cars and destroyed businesses all during the riots, uh, the BLM and Antifa riots, who basically hardly got prosecuted. I mean, talk about the loss of the rule of law. It, it, it's breathtaking. We should be talking about that. But um, I want to share a couple of really fun things about January 6th before I tell you what I think is going to be their October surprise. And you probably already know, but I'm going to make you wait a second. So first, um, it's interesting to just look at the data about this. I mean, the January 6th committee rolls on rolls on and rolls on and rolls on and they call hearings and they issue denouncements and they you know rant and rave well first thing there was a great poll recently monmouth poll asking people and here we are in the midst of the disastrous biden economy disastrous inflation gasoline prices i mean i know millennials who are saying i can't continue driving to work 
because I live far from her. I can't buy the gas or I, it's like a net loss. I mean, it's making a difference in the lives of working people. So people are very, very, very upset about the Biden administration. Inflation, gas prices, uh, abandoning the border would be another whole thing. And the foreign policy, we've been down that path many times. But what I want to mention is so Monmouth does a big poll, and they ask people, you know, what are the issues that matter to you? What issues matter going to drive your vote in 2022? Now, the January 6th committee, Inquisition committee people, would love if they were number one. What's going to happen? What's the outcome of the January 6th committee? This was a poll done without giving them choices. It wasn't like they said, you know, border, inflation, and you had to choose. They just got to say. The, so 22 issues, top 22 issues, January 6th, outcome of the January 6th Inquisition didn't even make the radar. People don't care. They don't, they, they see it. I mean, conservatives see it as the, as the, you know, political show trial that it is. Leftists are kind of just sick of it. And there's nothing that what they're in part frustrated about is nothing of value is coming out. Nothing that will, you know, just justify this intense endless effort of the left to go after the after the uh, January 6th people. Uh, so there's a, there's a public disinterest. Um, the statistics about who's actually listening, because they were really funny. I was going to have it. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, no one's listening is the point. No one's listening to the, uh, to the, uh, either to the live things or when they tried to make that big Hollywood special, no one's listening. Uh, but they're also getting caught in lies. And I want to mention a few of them because it really does, they lie for one thing, which matters a lot. But they also are continuing to spread rumors and disinformation, which, you know, they actually is their forte. This is the uh, the left. But they're pushing things that aren't true. And what they're really doing is it's hurting themselves. More Americans are waking up to the reality that th there's nothing there for them to be investigating. There were a tiny number of people who committed a small amount of crimes, and those people have been prosecuted and or are, are being prosecuted. So, but the whole big, it was a conspiracy. They're all, this was Trump behind it all. It's falling apart because there's nothing to it. And even leftists are starting to figure this out and starting to figure out why don't these Inquisition Committee people think of something else to do? And even the, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, the, um, the Democrat uh, consultant activist who was so active during the Clinton years, and he looks like a lizard. Anyway, I'll think of his name. Anyway, looks like a snake. He's been out there. He's this big Democrat guru saying, maybe someone can text it to me who I'm talking about. Anyway, um, he's been talking about trying to advise the Democrat National Committee and Nancy Pelosi and all the other leftists in Washington. You know, people don't really want to hear about this anymore. They're really sick of it. They don't want to hear all this. Turn to something that matters. Talk about inflation. Talk about how you're going to fix gas prices. Talk about something. He's been advising them uh, to stop talking about all this pronoun stuff because the American people don't care. But back to January 6th committee, they can't let it go. They cannot let it go. And the reason is early on on January 6th and even prior to January 6th, they saw this as an opportunity to bring down Trump and to essentially tell Americans, see, you got duped by this guy Trump and you liked him, but he was terrible and he was wrong. It was seen as a political hammer over the American people's head and they can't believe it's not working. They, they simply, they're, they're blown away it's not working. They can't believe the American people aren't just, you know, wringing their hands and waiting for the next hot headline um, out of the uh, January 6th committee people. And so they just, and they've kind of committed, they've like dug their feet in. And so I'll just start with a few of the lies that have been, that have been exposed. And they're just, they're stuck with them because they've been pushing them. So, and I will tell you something else, the reason that leftists and many people stick with a lie. There's a small, a small portion of people who believe you. And once you spread the word out there and claim something was true, and then later the evidence comes out that it wasn't true, there are a world of people who hung on to and heard that first announcement. They heard you say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really true. And, and actually, this was, there was polling about this. So back to Trump-Russia collusion, which never happened. And so Mueller spends millions of dollars and, and thousands of hours and investigations and blah, blah, blah. At the end of all, there's nothing there. Mueller had to go on national television and say, actually, no evidence at all. Months later, months later, they do a poll of Democrat voters. And with something like 40% still believe Trump-Russia collusion happened and the Russians stole the election and that, you know, Mueller just couldn't find the evidence. I mean, lies can work. They do influence people 
who won't look for facts, who won't research, who won't read. So back to January 6th committee, uh, this whole idea to start with Trump incited the riot. I mean, I know they want to say that, they want to keep talking about it, but you know, and this was, they say, as a result of his remarks on January 6th, but the, the, or the people entering the Capitol were doing so while Trump's still talking. I mean, so, you know, there was the ending wars were so terrible. And actually, there's been no connection between what Trump has uh, what said and, um, oh, God, there's one other story, too, before I forget. There's another great story coming out about January 6th. But anyway, so no, no proof of that. Um, the whole idea of the deployment of the National Guard on January 6th was delayed. Got to listen to this. Both the Defense Department Inspector General and the Joint Chief of Staff Chairman Mark Milley said the National Guard was not delayed in its deployment. The DOD had offered to make the National Guard available four days before the riot, but was rebuffed by then Capitol Police Chief Steve Sund. And this is also the statement Cash Patel recently said he was in the White House with Trump. It's like January 2nd or something like that, 3rd, where they stood around talking about it and Trump said, yes, be sure we have. And he was wanting National Guard folks there, but, you know, couldn't get, and in that case, the order that Trump signed it was Nancy Pelosi, whose signature was required to make it valid, who wouldn't do it. So um, this whole uh, attacking this uh, New York uh, Police Department Commissioner, Bernie Carrick, uh, he was in Washington on January 5th, meeting to discuss overturning, uh, and he wasn't there. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but he wasn't even there. According to his own phone and toll booth records, he was in New York City that day. But they just, they say these things because he's a character who's spoken out about conservative ideas. Um, I could run through more and more. The other one I wanted to mention, though, many people who support the January 6th committee were trying to claim that there were Republicans, like elected members of Congress, who were helping plan this invasion on January 6th. And they actually went to the Capitol a few days ahead and they showed all the evil protesters where they could go and they led them around and said, here's how you get in and here's the hallway, here's the pathway. Okay, that's completely falling apart because the people they accused of it, uh, they can show where they were, didn't happen. And number two, oddly, the Capitol Police somehow mistakenly, say they, deleted all video footage of the days in which it supposedly occurred. So, I mean, everything they're trying to prove is, is falling apart. And I'll tell you something else that's happened with the January 6th committee. People are starting to recognize how important the rule of law is and, and the you know application of the law more or less equally. So just one story. I've talked in the show before about Dr. Simone Gold. She is the founder of America's Frontline Doctor. She's been on the show many times. She's spoken at my summit. And she went to Washington that day, asked to speak, was asked to speak after Trump, the rally ends early. She didn't get to give her speech. She walks across uh, Washington. She goes in the Capitol with her little speech in her hands. It goes, blah, blah, blah. She read the speech in the rotunda. Nobody's listening. I mean, I, I love her to pieces, but no one's listening. She just, and then she walked out. She didn't hit anything, break anything, push anybody, just nothing. And she was charged with invading the Capitol, with entering the Capitol, entering an unauthorized area, which was the rotunda, where I'm going to guess, you know, a third of America has been to Washington, been in the rotunda. And she's actually scheduled to spend 60 days in federal prison for walking in and out of the Capitol. Now, she's fighting it. A lot of attention brought to that. But it's making people realize how brutal and harsh the American left is and how complicit it appears the Department of Justice and the FBI are in this. Nobody, nobody's standing up in Washington saying, you're sending a person who entered the Capitol, read a speech, and left. Oh, and by the way, when Simone entered, Dr. Simone Gold, the Capitol Police were holding the door open. And yet she's allegedly going to go to, to jail for 60 days prison. And I'm saying this because I think it's starting to wake people up for them to realize how rapidly leftist this current government is in Washington. They're absolutely committed to the idea. They're going to shut down and silence and, and frighten and just intimidate until you are frozen in place people who will not agree with them. The Democrats look ugly in this. They look ugly. They look sinister. They look violent. They look they look like the tyrants they are. One other good example. There's a woman in, uh, in I forget where she's from, Michigan or something. I don't know where she's from. Anyway, a, a woman who is 69 years old. She's a grandmother. She's a drug counselor. She's a current cancer patient. She entered the Capitol on January 6th. Same thing as Dr. Simone Gold. Goes in, you know, said a few things. Didn't do anything. Didn't hit anybody. Didn't break anything. Didn't intimidate anybody. And she's actually, uh, as a really cool thing her, in her life, her name is Pat Hemphill. She's a former drug and alcohol counselor. 
and who has been sober. So she had a problem in her own life with that stuff, overcame it, been sober for 42 years, helped thousands of addicts find sobriety. She's a 69-year-old grandmother and a cancer patient, and she's about to start a 60-day term in jail for entering the Capitol. And these kind of cases, it makes, you know, the sane leftists think there's something really wrong here. There's something really, really wrong here. Last thing on January 6th um, about all this, and I'm going to turn very quickly to um, tell you about how we make money for the show in case you want to donate. But uh, one other thing is uh, there is now a whistleblower guy. And this is, I, I love when these things happen. He's a whistleblower guy. Um, he had actually... Um, he was an FBI confidential human source. So he's not employed by the FBI, but they use him to gather information. This FBI confidential human source infiltrated Proud Boys, you know, the big bad Proud Boys, which I haven't even heard of before January 6th, but whatever. Uh, the Proud Boys are being portrayed by the left as this, you know, racist and evil organization, and they were part of January 6th, and they stirred up trouble, blah, blah. So this FBI confidential human source he actually, uh, undercover, infiltrated the Proud Boys, hung with them the whole time. And he's now released and given the notes he took, pages and pages of notes, which he says he's already given to the January 6th committee. So they know what the facts are. So he's given it to a, a website called Gateway Pundit, where it's basically saying, and basically he's saying, these are peaceful guys. They didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they stayed afterwards and tried to help clean up. So this is what the January 6th committee knows, and yet they're on the mission. And I'll tell you why, the, what I think is going on here. I think the Democrats are still weighing, but they're considering, do they have enough to be the October surprise this year to indict Donald Trump just prior to the fall midterms? Believe me, if they thought they had enough, they would. But this is what, why they would go on in the face of the complete flop and failure the January 6th Inquisition Committee is. They think they may get some political value out of the idea of getting Trump indicted, and obviously it won't go to trial and prosecution, but getting Trump indicted, uh, and that's why they're staying with it. Shockingly, I'm out of time. This always happens. I have, I have more topics than time, but uh, at the close of every show, before we get to why it matters, I want to quickly tell you that my show, America Can We Talk, americacanwetalk.org, at that website, you can go there, you can make donations, you become a member, you can buy a ticket for our summit. This show is shockingly entirely listener-supported. It really is. And so I would love your support. If you like the news you hear, I get lots of great emails saying, thank you, thank you, it was a great show. You know, consider donating to the show. And also tune in uh, all every day if you can, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. As I say, don't forget Thursday, Sydney Powell. I have a bunch of great Thursday guests coming up, but I'll just tell you about Sydney Powell for now. And now, as I do at the close of every show, I tell you, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show about the uh, Hispanic, the New York Times, far-right lies, Hispanics naturally gravitating to the MAGA agenda, much to the chagrin of the left. Culturally, churchgoers pro-life, recently elected Texas Congresswoman Myra Flores ran on a platform of God, family, country, several more Hispanic candidates running in Texas as Republican. New York Times, the left, insists that people must be defined by skin color and ethnicity. Hispanics must be Democrats. Christians, in particular, are to be mocked and marginalized. New York Times therefore blasted Christian Hispanic Myra Flores as far right, but the label doesn't, just doesn't fit. It doesn't resonate with the Hispanic community. Just a tired, lame smear. New York Times remains adamant, no grasp of America and the MAGA agenda. Critical race theory, defining everyone by skin color and ethnicity is not winning. Congratulations to Myra Flores. And we talked about mark your calendar. No, we are, yeah, we did. Okay, October 15th, mark your calendar. Um, our summit is going to be great. I already told you all the speakers. I'm not going to do it every show, but I want to run through them today. Uh, our, our summit is great. Love to have you join us October 15th. Uh, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have great breakfast, a lunch, a working lunch. The only input I got at the end of the, uh, you know, I asked for feedback at the end of the summit, and I get these nice notes. The only negative one is, we never got a break. You know, you just went all day. You know, the answer is, take a break when you go home. You're here to learn a lot, hear a lot, great speakers. So, um, you know, bring your paper and pen and be ready. Okay, speakers are set for October 15th. I'll take a look at the website again, look at the, who we have. We, uh, as I say, a likely surprised person on Friday night. Brilliant speakers and thinkers will address serious issues and answer the question. But what, and I, 
Ask them all to answer in their remarks, what can I do to help save America? Tickets now on sale at americanchemitalk.org. And I will tell you, the ticket price does not begin to cover the cost of the summit. Doesn't begin to cover the cost of the summit. Okay, last one, October surprise and the imploding J6 Inquisition Committee. J6 is having trouble maintaining the mission to disqualify Trump, cancels this week's hearing, and Steve Bannon makes them nervous. Uh, TV audience is nil. America's list of top 22 concerns doesn't even include January 6th. Bannon now ready and willing to testify, but only in public. January 6th committee looks bad if it prohibits Bannon from testifying in public after holding him in contempt for his initial refusal. That's why it's so entertaining. Gateway Pundit has released whistleblower documents showing the FBI had Proud Boys informant who filed immediate report exonerating the Proud Boys about January 6th, and the FBI disregarded and pursued prosecutions instead against the Proud Boys. The J6 committee is an exercise Excuse me, the J6 committee exercise is a disgrace to American due process. The FBI and DOJ have been exposed as corrupt, dishonest, and willing to fabricate evidence and falsely imprisoned opponents of the Biden regime. A dark and ugly episode of American history. Let's hope it can someday be redeemed. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-